And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle Tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, on today's podcast, I'd like to start a multi-part series about an attraction that's changed significantly over the years. It's an original Epcot attraction, and its brochure read, General Motors now invites you to travel the open road to discover that when it comes to transportation, it's always fun to be free. Hey, I have the best-kept Disney World and Universal Studios vacation secret. Did you know that anyone can run a sweet ride and truly get around fast with your pass inside the theme parks? Mom, tell them. Well, Scooter Vacations makes it fun all day long. You or someone you love deserves a best way to see everything. So why not relax and enjoy a true express ride with your pass? Scooter Vacations can arrange it and even deliver it to you. Get around the fun way? Have as much fun getting from ride to ride as being on the ride. They fit on buses, boats, and monorails, and some can fit in a car trunk. Upgrade your experience and scoot everywhere. Contact Scooter Vacations at 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. That's 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. Or on the web at scootorlando.com. That's S-C-O-O-T Orlando.com. S-C-O-O-T Orlando.com. I'm talking, of course, about the world of motion presented by General Motors. The ride description in the Epcot Center guidebook shortly after opening read, Take a rib-tickling ride through the evolution of transportation and see just why it's fun to be free. Discover how mankind's progress has been directly related to the worldwide innovations in mobility and take a look at how tomorrow's transportation will change the face of our cities. Today's podcast will focus on the background of the attraction. After the Magic Kingdom opened, the Walt Disney Company set about making plans for the Epcot Center. Around 1975... Wet Enterprises proposed the idea for a transportation pavilion to be a key element of the future World Theme Center. It was intended as a complement to the just slightly older plans for World Showcase. The story goes that these were competing designs that each were evocative of part of Walt's vision. 
After his death, no one was quite sure how to make Epcot Center, so then-president and later CEO Card Walker had asked for ideas on how to proceed. The Imagineers came up with concepts, and ultimately the idea was to create two parks in one by pushing together the ideas and, quite literally, the tables that held both models. But more interesting was the fact that most of the elements were called pavilions, not unlike what you might have seen at a World's Fair. It made sense after the work Disney had done for the Ford Motor Company, Pepsi-Cola, General Electric, and the state of Illinois in the 1964 World's Fair, and the men and women of WED were clearly familiar with what it took to make the entertaining landmark attractions tailored to the needs of well-heeled sponsors. So for the Transportation Pavilion, it happened that Bob Gurr had a chance meeting with General Motors Head of Design Bill Mitchell at a 1976 uh, art school dedication in Los Angeles. Disney had already been in discussions with the big three automakers that year, but GM was ultimately signed as the first official sponsor of Epcot Center as a participant. The Gurr-Mitchell meeting had established the vision, and that was a pivotal moment in the relationship. Also, General Motors had sponsored Futurama at the 1964 World's Fair, and that was the fair's most popular exhibit, well, short of maybe it's a small world. That simple fact was not lost on wet enterprises. Now, therefore, shows had been close runners-up, and they intended to deliver even more compelling presentation for GM in Florida. But whereas Futurama had focused on the futuristic habitats on the moon, under the sea, and the jungle, wait a minute, that sounds remarkably familiar. General Motors' Epcot Center pavilion would be more squarely focused on the evolution of transportation and, before the experience was completed, tie that in directly with modern-day General Motors cars and prototypes. Now, on a side note, the Futurama project matter included colonies in space, underwater cities, and desert farms. And amazingly, Horizons ended up sitting right next to the world, world of motion and future world, duplicating that subject matter. So Disney really did take that concept and run with it. Claude Coates did a large amount of work on the early visions of the Transportation Pavilion. Coates' work was accomplished, but also somewhat stoic in nature. General Motors liked the concepts, but reportedly wanted something a little more Disney. That is, a little more humorous and whimsical, and kind of took a little bit more imagination into it. So Ward Kimball was brought along, and touted as the comedic genius who infused the world of motion with its humor. The only problem is, while Kimball did indeed work on the world of motion, it was actually a Mark Davis uh, production, and he was responsible for most of the gags you see in there. Now, Davis was a key Disney animator, with many iconic designs and characters to his credit. He joined WED in 1963, and in the ensuing ten years would be, along with Coates, one of the two artists responsible for defining what constitutes a classic Disney attraction. And that, that really means the signature blend of humor, staging, and animatronics found in the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. Davis had retired from WED in 1978, but was approached by the company almost immediately afterward to provide material for the General Motors Pavilion. Now, Davis was notoriously prolific. He had a large number of things that he had put together. He did a number of drawings, and he had them all ready for a General Motors presentation. Now, among some of the renderings that that, uh, we know were his, among them were a rendering of an octopus wrapped around a shipwreck, a vintage plane flying low over a farmer milking a cow, causing the cow to run away, a caveman carrying a bear on his back, an overcrowded streetcar, and a man in a hot air balloon with birds swarming toward him. And while none of these specifically came to light, There were others that did. So there were things like crocodiles ready to nip the toes of a man on a raft, the paintings of a watercraft project behind the scene, the Chinese man being pulled in a rickshaw, the bull holding up a steam coach. Davis also conceived the pavilion showpiece scene, the first traffic jam. 
in which a motorist is run into a horse-drawn produce cart on a busy city street and caused backups in all directions. It's a piece that Marty Sklar, former vice president of WDI, attributed to Ward Kimball, but Davis certainly influenced it regardless of who got the credit in the press coverage. Now, we've long heard that Davis took it in stride, and you have to remember that in some ways, that's Disney just being Disney. Uh, Every good idea is a good idea, and everyone kind of gets equal credit for the most part, and everyone kind of works on things. Now, the drawings became full-scale models covering an astonishing 31 show scenes. Think about this, an attraction with 31 show scenes. That's enormous, and it's it's incredible that they were able to put it all together. Now, the full-scale models were first introduced when the web designers wanted to show Walt what it would be like to actually ride on the Pirates of the Caribbean. What they did in that case was to create a 3D model that was probably in about one-eighth scale. Then they put Walt Disney in a rolling chair and pushed him along as though he was riding along in the attraction. Now, the web designers had perfected this over the next decade. Now, Harriet Burns, Fred Yorkner, and Ken O'Brien in the model shop had honed their craft before giving way to computer models in the next decade. But in this case, they had developed some very sophisticated and elaborate models that showed everything in these 31 scenes. Now, the world of motion yielded great construction and in-development photos. By May of 1982, the pavilion was nearing completion. According to the April 30th, 1982 issue of the Walt Disney World cast newsletter, Eyes and Ears, and the sight of the immense props like the railroad cars and classic automobiles being hoisted through the open sides of the building by crane had been published in the Orlando Sentinel, the Orlando Land Magazine, and several national periodicals. Video footage of the man in the stagecoach poking his head in and out of the window was being shown on virtually any time someone did a televised report on Epcot Center's progress. Now, the pavilion, or what was called an attraction, occupied the same southeastern quadrant of Future World as the Odyssey Restaurant, and Communicore's Epcot Pole, which you may remember in Epcot's history, and it also was near the soon-to-be-opened Universe of Energy. Guests could approach the world of motion from two pathways, the north, from where Horizons once sat, or the west, from the central hub near the fountain. Glass-covered facades went around the circular building's exterior and framed the entry area. This also featured one central support pillar wrapped by the ride's first track section. Now, as guests walked up to the pavilion, they could see these Omnimover vehicles wrapping clockwise around that center pillar. You could see it was a slow-moving vehicle, and you kind of got a sense of what was going on, but the vehicle was actually moving from the first floor to the second floor to start the attraction. Now, as you got up to the second floor, there was this contoured entryway that, in red that took you into the pavilion, so you could actually start to see the attraction. There was something kind of magical about the way it ran and the way it opened up into the second floor that made it kind of interesting. Now, to design aficionados, this was the best pavilion entrance in Epcot Center. Seeing the ride track twist up through the open space was an irresistible, beautiful, and charming model of Imagineering. The website Parkeology.com says of it, In 1982, every future world pavilion was a simple in mind and possessing its own bold, unique shape. Every design was carefully considered and echoed its own pavilion theme. The World of Motion's grand staircase was the zen of theme park design. It was a gorgeous spindle in the center of the sparse atrium. Omnimovers departed the load zone and rose like luxurious Pan Am airliner into the sky over our heads, making a leisurely turn around the gleaming column before entering into the story of transportation. In its design, we see a circle, like a tire, but one section of the pie is missing, like a wedge in a trivial pursuit. That space was the entrance's atrium. The outside was shaped like a huge silver wheel with passenger cars spiraling up at the entrance. The entrance was the inset of the front of the pavilion with red walls and a blue tile floor. Angular green areas with tall, slim trees and other plants surrounded the entrance. 
at that very front entrance of the round green area with a rectangular sign reading, World of Motion, presented by General Motors. At times, the sign was surrounded with flowers spiraling around the sign like a spinning wheel. Now, as for the premise of the ride, it was to be a humorous look into the history of transportation from the ancient days of foot power through time and into the future. The pavilion's construction was part of the initial construction of the Epcot Center. The attraction was ready for grand opening with the park on October 1, 1982, and was in Epcot Center's opening cast. The pavilion itself was given a specific opening ceremony with General Motors executives a few days later. Contained within its circular walls were some of the best elements that Epcot Center and Walt Disney World had ever offered. That included the largest cast of audio animatronic figures, there were about 150 of them, ever used in a single Disney attraction combined with detailed sets, a massive array of projector effects, a distinctively lighthearted music, and the versatility of an Omnimover ride system to illustrate a comical history of man's quest to travel from here to there by increasingly efficient and expedient means. Epcot's World of Motion Pavilion stood for almost a decade and a half as one of Epcot's most popular and beloved attractions. World of Motion experienced operational problems such as the ride system starting and stopping repeatedly throughout the day, the narration dropped in and out of the ride vehicles, sometimes mid-sentence for no apparent reason. These problems were mostly resolved by the end of the October, and the World of Motion became one of the most heavily visited and popular attractions in the park. The theme song for the ride was It's Fun to Be Free, written by Exitensio and Buddy Baker, the same duo who wrote Grim Grinning Ghosts for The Haunted Mansion. Buddy also arranged the song into countless variations, which are heard throughout the ride, as well as in the waiting area. Much like in the Haunted Mansion, these variations were heard in one-minute loops that repeated continuously. The loops themselves were all synchronized so that two guests it would sound like one continuous song throughout the attraction. Buddy demonstrated his talents by arranging every song in every style, from Egyptian to Renaissance to modern times. Yeah, you went 
Especially impressive was his arrangement for the future city model, which of course you can hear right here. Outside the pavilion, a 16-minute loop of instrumental music putting twists on the pavilion's theme song, It's Fun to Be Free, echoed off the walls and the blue-tiled floor. As with its predecessors, like If You Had Wings and It's a Small World, the entire attraction featured variations of the upbeat theme, making it hard to pinpoint one version as the official take. In the courtyard area, the arrangement was predominantly symphonic with the versions of jazz, swing, and country in signature. Your host on the ride was famed disc jockey and voice actor Gary Owens. His polished baritone speaking voice generally offers deadpan recitations of total nonsense, which he frequently demonstrated as the announcer of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Live from beautiful downtown Burbank, it's Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. And he was frequently heard in television, radio, and commercials. Now, personally, I knew right away as soon as I heard him, hey, that's Gary Owens. And... You may have recognized him, too, as maybe the voice of Space Ghost if you were a little bit younger and you watched that show as you were growing up. Now, Owens himself only had a slight connection with Disney. He did a television special called The Roots of Goofy, which aired on ABC intermittently from the mid-1980s to the early 1990s. One of Hollywood's most important awards is the Tailwaggers Award, presented to the most promising dog actor. And the winner is... But fame doesn't go to Pluto's head. He's the same simple mutt he's always been. No big fancy house. No cute little starlets. Pluto leads a simple life. Perhaps that's the secret of his success. Let's take a look at a day in the life of Pluto. Where he lives, who he lives with, and what he does. It's one of those mornings when anything can happen. And it probably will. But otherwise, he was just an authoritative voice that talked about the history of transportation. Now, in one small happenstance, work of fate, something like that, in 1980, Gary Owens received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. and His star happens to be right next to Walt Disney's. Here's a couple of fun facts for you about the attraction. Construction on the World of Motion, as well as the sculpting process for its battalion of animatronics, began in 1975. The building dimensions, realizing it was a circle, of course, were 65 feet high and 320 feet in diameter. The ride system was an Omnimover. 141 ride vehicles on 47 separate platforms, so each one of the platforms was a group of ride vehicles. So there were the groups of three vehicles per platform. The track length was 1,750 feet. The ride length was 14 and a half minutes. Its hourly capacity, realizing it was an Omnimover, so it never really stopped, was about 3,200 people per hour, and that meant about 20,000 visitors per day. As I mentioned previously, there were about 150 audio animatronic figures. Now, what's interesting about this is that most of these required some new production versus reuse of an old model and tooling. You might recognize a couple of faces from the Pirates in the Haunted Mansion if you really looked at some of the characters, but for the most part, these were all new faces that Disney had created. 
And some of these faces were then later used in some of the later attractions that came after the World of Motion, because Disney tends to do that. You take the same face and the same shape, and you reuse it somewhere else, and you add a beard or you change the color of the hair. And of course, wearing different clothes, it looks a little different. There were 33 animated props in the attraction and 16 full-size vehicles. And as I mentioned before, there were 31 full-scale sets, which is an enormous number of sets that they had in there. Now, because of its humor, its catchy song, and its simple storytelling methods, World of Motion was one of the more popular attractions in Future World. Also, because of its subject, the history and the future of transportation, it touches on something almost everyone experiences every day, going from one place to another. As the attraction reminded us, it's always fun to be free. Now, in the Epcot Center Field Guide, there was a two-page entry about the World of Motion. There were a couple of transportation tidbits, including it wasn't until about 5000 BC that people started using animals to assist with transportation. Life changed with the invention of the wheel around 3000 BC. Although other civilizations such as the Chinese and the Persians constructed roadways for transport, the Romans were the first to develop a system of paved roads. Built by German inventors in the 1800s, the first gasoline engines were used to power bicycles. Engineers at Goodyear have recently designed a new tire that, when it loses air due to a flat, can travel without any air for up to 200 miles and not compromise performance, handling, or speed. It also included a technology quiz that included these eight questions. How did people first travel from one place to another? The answer is walking. And what type of vehicle did humans first fly? The hot air balloon. Who was one of the first scientists to try and analyze flight? Leonardo da Vinci. Where would an electric car get its power? Batteries or photovoltaic cells? Why is it important to check the aerodynamics of a car? For fuel economy. What is maglev an abbreviation for? Magnetic levitation. On what magnetic principles does maglev work? Opposite poles attract and like poles repel. Finally, what kind of theoretical engine burns hydrogen from water and produces water vapor as exhaust? And that would be a water engine. Now, of course, all of these questions could be answered if you went through the world of motion. The first few, where it talks about the modes of transportation, were seen in the attraction itself, and the last couple of questions were answered when you went to the Trans Center and saw the after show. Now, we're going to talk about those in an upcoming podcast, so stay tuned for that. Now, a couple of other fun facts about the attraction. The building design borrows its circular shape from the wheel, the invention that got transportation rolling. From above, even the roof pattern resembles the spokes of a wheel. Standing 65 feet high and 320 feet in diameter, this attraction includes 22 different scenes and uses over 3,375 props, many of which are authentic. For example, the Wells Fargo stage in the western wagon scene is at least 160 years old and was brought from Phoenix, Arizona and restored for the show. The theme song for the attraction, It's Fun to Be Free, was performed by the 65-piece orchestra with different scores for each scene. The music is synchronized so that it flows seamlessly from one scene to another. The stars of the bird and the robot show in the Trans Center have interesting backgrounds. The bird was originally created to be part of the Enchanted Tiki Room at Tokyo Disneyland, and the robot is actually an assembly line robot provided by General Motors. They also include a quote from Thomas Babington Macaulay, of all the inventions, the alphabet and the printing press alone accepted, those inventions which abridge distance have done the most for the civilization of our species. And there you have it. That's the history of the world of motion. And remember, it's fun to be free. It's fun to be free To be on the move 
to go anywhere with never a care to do all there is to be done. It's fun to be free, I am. It's fun to be free. To be on the move, to ride or to hike, wherever you like to. Thrill to this beautiful land. Eyes, everybody happy. You'll see what heaven can be. It's fun to be free. Yes, sir. Well, that's it for my podcast this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Now, in the next few podcasts, I'm going to be bringing you a ride through, talking about the Trans Center, and talking about how we got to the current attraction. But for now, that'll do it. And so I leave you to enjoy the open road. And remember, it's fun to be free. And you thought I was going to leave you with my traditional catchphrase. Not this time. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Show notes for this podcast can be found on disneyworldpodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a Hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app. 